For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Psychovetical podcast. Can you hear the rain is the rain is falling on the on the roof here? Hope you can't hear that. What day is it today? Uh, anyway, it's some day. Um, um, <coughs> before I go out in the rain, I'm, I thought I'd quickly do this podcast. My son just had some uh, Nutella Nutella on his pancake, so he's he's hyper. So if you hear someone going around smashing into things that's just him so just ignore him uh it's funny nutella's got have you ever looked at i think nutella is something like is it like 70 percent um seed oils or something it's uh i remember going past a nutella factory in in italy and it always i always i always had this i always imagined it was this like uh kind of quite healthy because it's made out of nuts and i remember like mark twight he was eating so easy. He was had a spoonful of Nutella. So photograph him eating some Nutella. And I thought, like, if not, if Mark Twight eats Nutella, it must be pretty good. But anyway, it's got a lot of um, uh, seed seed oils in it. So yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. I've turned into one of those like seed oil wankers who's like always going on about seed. Oh, seed oil, seed oils. I don't even know what they are. But anyway, anyway. So I well, actually remember I once went on the trip and we had a lot of palm oil. We had like dried palm oil. So you could just put the palm oil, you know, you just have these flakes of palm oil and you would just, like, put them on your food. And uh, and uh, I remember afterwards I was saying how good at palm oil it, palm oil was and someone was like, oh, you can't have palm oil, it kills the the palms or something or some, something to do with some Indonesia or something, some kind of something. And I was like, oh, Christ, you can't even have a bit of palm oil on your bloody spaghetti without someone having a go at you so anyway but yeah anyway, so <laughs> and it was it was actually it's actually proper nutella as well it's like the real the real the real deal so anyway so i haven't got a lot i haven't got long to do this podcast which is good um i should probably i should probably bring up the fact that my last podcast where i had a mini a mini rant at the beginning which was uh originally it was actually about um how despairing I feel. I probably didn't say that, but how despairing I feel about the the Ukraine thing going at the moment. Because um, where we live, there's like a lot of Ukrainians. Like in Ireland, it's something like thirty one percent of of accommodation, like hotels, all that kind of stuff, 
is full of Ukrainians, and uh, which is nothing wrong with that, apart from his kind of holiday season is a is fast approaching. Quite a lot of the Irish economy is based on tourism, and and I kind of wondering what's going to happen, like what's going to happen to all these like poor Ukrainians. It's going to be like. Um, it just, I don't know, I just, because it's all, like, around here, it's all, like, women and children. And I could just, I think they're just going to get Afghanistan, where it's we're just going to wipe our hands of them. I don't I, I just, I, anyway, so that that's that's one of my main things at the moment. And I had, we had, I had a friend around the other day, someone staying, and I was, like, saying, like, how fucked it was in, in, um, in, uh, Ukraine, how you know Ukrainians are losing, and he, he was like, "Oh no, they're, they're winning," and and uh, and I was like, "Where do you where do you get all your information from?" He's like, "I get it from Twitter," and I was like, "Oh Christ Almighty!" Like it's uh, we we have we live in this kind of I don't know if you've seen like Wag the Dog, the film Wag the Dog. I think you should if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. I feel like we're living in this world where there's like there's like two wars going on. There's like the real war. Like we don't really get Russian propaganda because because it's all blocked. We can't see what the Russians are saying, so we don't get any Russian propaganda really. And anyone who says anything that's against actual propaganda on our side is that we're told that's Russian propaganda, which which often it's it's true. So um, so yeah, there's like there's this kind of war where <laughs> you know you got Bear Grylls going to see Zelensky and all this kind of and all this kind of bullshit that's like bombarding me every day every time, every time I switch on the my phone there's like pictures of Bear Grylls giving Zelensky chocolate or something and then there's like the real war which is going on which is you know you know, pe- you know how many people have died like half a million people you know so it's uh yeah so I think that was anyway so I think I think that has been getting on my on my mind at the moment um but unfortunately i probably g- gave those two female writers who'd written for uk climbing um probably i don't maybe was, was it unfair i don't think it was unfair but i suddenly had like a lot of people saying oh you sounded like you were deranged or you sounded like a like women ah oh, bloody women and uh and um you know, like basically calling me a misogynist and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I can I I don't. I think a lot of. I think a lot of the. I think when people use a lot of these modern words, like uh, I call them puppet words. So when someone, as soon as someone calls you like a misogynist or a racist or a transphobe or one of these words, they're not. They're more like they're actually. They're just a way of like someone putting their hand over your mouth. And saying, you know, trying to stop you from saying something, something that that could actually be, um, you know, valuable. But it's but it's kind of breaking this. We kind of live in this like world of masks, like it's not a real. It's you know, like we can't allow. Like reality has been debunked. Like I've I've, I've googled it. That's not true. You know, it says, you know, that's not a true thing. And uh, I've you know, in the first in the first five searches. On Google, that what you just said is not true. I said, well, if you if you go into like the if you keep going down, eventually you'll find out. You know, most of the searches is true. So, so yeah. So I guess, I guess back to the Ukraine. Like, you know what the if I say that Ukraine are losing the war, and uh, you know, and um, you know, people say I've I've Googled it and that's not true. So you you know it's it's fake news or whatever it is. So anyway, so um. So yeah, so so I 
I, uh, I've basically got, I've basically lost several friends since that podcast, since several guide friends. And uh, it's like, don't talk about stuff you're not talking about. You don't know what you're talking about and uh, that kind of stuff. And you're making it up and it's all lies. And uh, when I explain, I don't want to go into it, but when I, when I say that the that in the past this um, you know that the guides are bending over backwards to get women guides because they want to be you know seen as being progressive and everything else that um, you know the thumbs like it, this is this is happening in all kind of elite organisations globally where you this if you want to get more women to be whether it's a navy seal or or firewoman or fire person or in the police whatever you have to you have to change the standards yeah and and even if it's not even if it's like subconscious like if you're if say you're a mountain if you're assessing someone to be a mountain guide and you have a you have a like i know loads of people who failed to become mountain guides and it was for the most arbitrary thing like you know, you didn't you didn't put your crampons on soon enough or when you were belaying, your hand was uh, there was a rock there, and you won't be, you know, your hand. You know, these are people who've been climbing for like, you know, twenty years and being told that they were belaying wrong, like they they wouldn't be able to lock the rope off, or you know, they, they'll they'll maybe it's to do with like they don't like your personality or something, but the, you know, the guides have a very high standard, and I the British Mountain Guides, and you know, I've always had like the utmost respect for them, but. It seems silly to pretend that there isn't there isn't a, a general um, culture of we have to have more women in our organisation to, to in order to look more progressive and you know and all this, this kind of stuff. So if you're you know if you're assessing a a black gay female aspirant mountain guide and they do something that's a bit you know a, a little mistake, like are you gonna are you going to go down on them like a ton, ton of bricks, and they they then go away and say, "Oh, they're they're all misogynistic, you know, hypermasculine people, blah blah blah." You know, you're 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 not. It's like it's you know, it's because you're doing you're doing God's work, you know, these days. You know, you you you're so so. Is it this is a this is a factor? So for the mountain guides to get so pissed off at me when I when in for me I'm. In my mind, I'm defending the mountain guides from being the charge that they're hyper-masculine, macho wankers from someone who's trying to be a mountain guide. When, when I would say that the mountain guides are doing everything they can to get that person through, I'm not saying individually that I'm not saying anything about this person who wrote this article that they're not a, a great climber would be a great mountain guide. I'm just saying that that she should have more respect for the for the organisation that she's trying to join. And not sully because it's not only it's not only sullying. There's this, there's a, there's a constant thing where people are um, sullying and slagging off and besmirching and, and any other words you can, I can think of of general of, of male climbers and it's and it's in everything. It's not just in climbing. It's in every every kind of you know in all culture. Um, and uh, my son started watching Peppa Pig at the moment, and I'm, I am I am hypersensitive, as you can imagine, about this kind of stuff. And I am I am kind kind of shocked at how much um, sort of programming there is in everything he consumes, like his the TV program. He basically watches 
like an hour of TV when he gets up at like six in the morning, and that that's it. So he doesn't watch any more TV. Just to point that out. And I know it's weak, but you know what? What can I do? So um, uh, you know, but like books he reads, and um, there is this, there is a there's a basically an undercurrent of that men are shit. You know, men are shit. And women are amazing. There, there, there is, there is. I, if you're a woman listening to this, hopefully there's not many women listening to this podcast. But if you are, you, you probably say, like, "Well, what's wrong with that?" You know, like men are, men are shit. <laughs> and I often have this conversation with, because I, you know, hanging around with mums with young children, and I often sort of say, like, you know, this is my second time around being a parent, and the first time around, I didn't really care about all this kind of stuff, and I was programmed to say, "Well, even if, well, you know, men are shit, men are." You know, I, I I was kind of programmed to see the world through that lens. But, you know, 20 years later, I can see that I can see it more clearly. And I'll and I'll often say, like, you know, unless you take this thing seriously, you, you know, you do realize, although you are a woman, that that child is a boy and his outcomes in his life are going to be affected by all these kind of things. Like there's there's a reason why so many men are killing themselves. You know, it's not just because they're shit. You know, there's like a. And I, I have, I think about my own life. I'm going to sound a bit like Jordan Peterson here, but um, there is a real like if you're going to have if if you're a man or you're a woman, there's like an operating system that's been developed over you know a million years potentially. You know, it's over over, over tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, thousands of years uh, of of being. Being the 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 man or the the you know the man or the woman the parents the you know all this kind of this kind of stuff, and only in only in my lifetime is that has all been dismantled and we'll get rid of it and all this kind of stuff. But the 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 you can't really get rid of the operating system because because that's how we operate. So you're trying to like oh over, you're trying to put things over the top of it that are kind of trying to cancel it out in a really clunky way so uh, this is this is an example like i'm not i am i am not a misogynist they have like two daughters i was brought up by a by a single mother was a single parent like i've i spent my life climbing and do it going around trips with like women and i think i think women climbers are amazing and all this kind of stuff so i'm not i i shouldn't really defend myself but um but um I, this is going to sound like one of these men who are like bitter and twisted, but this is just an observation. Like I remember when I got divorced uh, first time, when I got divorced, I basically gave everything to my wife because she, you know, she had the, the kids, and I give that assigned the how my half of the house, everything we owned. I I, I end up like for some reason paying off all our debts and and all this. I, I did like. I did the absolute maximum uh, possible, and I remember then I can't remember what, what happened, but there was something that she said later on, like, "Well, you know, you you know, it was right that you you give me everything, because to be honest, like I always made more money than you," and uh, and I thought like for, for <laughs> it was like it, it's, this is a long time ago. I remember thinking like. What if what if that was a a man saying that to a woman? Like how would how would that sound? And and I I even see this now with my with uh, I won't say it is, but I you know I have, I have people um, like young women 
who are basically complaining. Like young women are doing like really, really successfully. They've got their some of them have got their own businesses or they're doing really, really well. And they're basically bitching about their their boyfriends, how shit they are, or their husbands, how shit they are, because they've got like a shit job and they're not, you know, they're they're just shit basically. They're useless, you know, because they're why get why haven't they got you know like and and re- I'm, I always say well because you've got their job like at one of once upon a time men did all these jobs and then now women do a lot of these jobs you know like you know you're the teacher before 50 years ago it was mainly men and like you went to university like in my when I was a kid it was something like two-thirds of men went to university you know two-thirds of university students were men and now it's like like one third or something, you know, it's, it, you had a complete flip in society. So, um, so it's, 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 it's not misogynistic to point these things out. And when someone in this article about mountain guides calls men who are mountain guides hyper-masculine, like what they're saying, I know this is going to sound like Jordan Peterson here, but it's about like competency. You know, when you see, like one of my, one of my heroes is like Jocko Willink, because for me, he is, he is someone who's operating with that old operating system. There's ve- there's very, you know, like there's just because you have traditional view of like masculinity and hard work and you know being a strong person and a good father and a moral sort of person, it doesn't make you like a rapist basically or a violent, you know, misogynistic person. It's actually a very. It's a bit like. The people when people are Christians, like I always think, like when someone said the Bible was my, you know, like Bear Grylls or something, you know, when they talk about reading the Bible, whatever, I was like, oh, that's so naff. And but I actually, I actually at the at this point in my life, I think that those people who are basing their 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 operating system is working on something that's very very ancient. They they're actually much more stable because they have some something to believe in and some kind of framework. Where I think I think a lot of people don't anymore. So, you know, the having a go at these these climbers who make a living in the mountains of being hyper masculine, they're 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 not. They're they're just hyper competent because they do it. You know, you know a lot. And you know, I know a lot of um, mainly like American Canadian female mountain guides who were just like you know incredible incredible people you know they're they're it's it's not because they're hyper competent because they're incredible it's not they're incredible but they're not it's it's they're because they're hyper competent it's in their character to be hyper competent at something so um but you would never say oh that woman you know she's like a She's like a man, you know, the way she kind of like swaggers around climbing really hard. It's 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 just it's just some people are hyper competent at things. They're just really good at it. They're not it's not about being macho, it's not about being anything else. And I think a lot of those criticism criticisms of people is it is well, it's kind of jealous you're kind of jealous at them. Like I do, I do it myself, you know, you want to you want to diminish somebody that you some standard you can't achieve you know if you can't you know say if you can't do loads of pull-ups or something you know you'll you you always try and find a reason why someone is so much better than you like they're richer their parents were posh you know they went to a better school or you know you'll you just make up all these um these kind of lies really in your head which aren't which are 
which don't really serve you well. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, um, so yeah, so, so the, I really, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to be like arguing with people. Um, and, uh, like this, 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 this thing about that the scales have been tipped in the past. Like, I'm not, I don't want to go into it, but, um, I'm not lying. I'm not lying about this. And when I've explained, I've, when I've, you know, set this out to these people who have now lost as friends, they'll, they'll admit that really ha- that happened in the past, but that was in the past. This they'll say, but I'd, I'd say the pressure now is, is, and I don't, I don't actually mind if the, if you change the standards, if you adjust the standards to have more women mountain guides, like maybe the standards, maybe the standards are wrong. And that's, that's not the thing I'm, um, I got pissed off about. I just get pissed off at this general, um, that, that it doesn't serve that person writing the article or in their life to have this view of the, the, the men are the, are the problem, you know, like, you know, if, 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 if guides were less hypermasculine in the past, there'd be more women. Now I know, I know lots of women who became mountain guides or became professional in some degree like that. And the limiting factor is always that they, well, not always, they, they, they end up having kids because they, that's just the way it is. You can be the most like militant feminist in your twenties, but you get to 30 something and, and all you want to do, you know, you see a baby and you just burst out, you know, somebody else's baby was burst into tears and that's, and that's how it is. And that is another, another issue that would we're all trying to deal with because we've because we're trying to overlap overlay this other operating system and i can see it in every every day of my life of um people struggling with trying to you know be this kind of uh fictional you know woman or this or man being a fictional man or whatever or it's um yeah so but like it but it but just to, but trying to talk about these talk about these things rationally have a conversation about them is how you like that's how the operating system gets to get made in the first place because people talk about it you know that sometimes you can get angry with each other um you know but you're trying to work out like how this is this is like a personal thing is you're trying to make a model of how to see the world and i don't back to the like with the ukraine thing having a model that isn't hasn't got it doesn't isn't connected to material reality is not serve it's not going to serve you well because the more it doesn't work the more you'll just add a bit more code to it to, to ignore that or or this isn't important or this is a you know that's a misogynistic view or blah 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 but the same with um with all these with immigration and we were just watching this this film the swimmer you know about these two syrian girls who come over from syria to end up in uh, germany and things and i'm kind of what i'm kind of watching it and vanessa's like watching it and vanessa you know it's like the the again it's this is like the male mind and the female mind like vanessa b is 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 all kind of empathy and compassion and care and love and and you know like you know like why can't we just let everyone you know that you know 300 million people just come and live in Germany and we'll look after them and all this kind of stuff and it's so horrible that they have to go that blah. and where I've got like the, the the male brain and I'm just I'm just seeing all the the practical problems of and all the 
the you know like the 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 blowback and the suddenly you've got like far right governments appearing in Sweden of all places and and it's uh so yeah so it's uh <laughs> so no so but if you know but a lot of people a lot of these problems to do with immigration or whatever would potentially not be happening if people were allowed to talk about them without sounding like a, a racist luckily I don't I, I don't have any I don't have any social tenure anymore so I don't really have to worry about these things but you know it is a it is a it is a real um it's a real problem especially when you especially when like I'm people will say I've got very I've got thin skin and I and I have but it's but that is how I that's part of my character like I'm very I'm a very sensitive person that's why I, I can write um you know that's why I write the kind of things I write you know because I'm very I I I notice really small things that's why I write books about technical things because I can I can see the importance of a really, really small detail that if you highlight it, it actually could save someone's life or something. Or when you're writing, when you're writing more creative stuff, it's being being able to, you know, see very subtle things in in people that are actually quite interesting. Because I, I actually got, I'd actually had a message yesterday from somebody saying how looking through my social media, they basically thought I was going kind of insane really and uh they hoped I was okay and all that kind of stuff and like for for me like uh although I tried to get off social media for me like something like Instagram it's it's a way it's it's a way of kind of you no know, every really what what people really want you to do they want we should all just stand there with our hands held high going you know long live chairman Mao but that's that's kind of not in my again not in my character. Like I'm the I'd be the person on the back of the the lorry getting <laughs> taken off to get shot probably because um, you know and, and for me the you know just posting something on Instagram some you know some shit take on what's going on at the, in the world or whatever is is like a little bit of like resistance and a little bit of dem- demonstrating to me that I'm not. Um, I'm not willing, like often when people will, I don't get many people comment, I don't get many people following me on, on social media anymore, so luckily, so, but if somebody, you know, if somebody will, uh, you know, attack what you're saying, you know, the, my my general, general, general response is like, you know, who are you to sort of try and modify my, you know, to control what I can say or something, because they're basically, basically people want you to, to just agree with their with their view, and or just make you shut up, or just leave social media, or whatever. So um, so so yeah, so you can come across you know looking kind of your know, mental, going like bloody women or, or whatever. But these are you know these are these are really uh, important. These are these are like crucial. It's not just it's not just a you know people. Someone was saying you shouldn't. It's all just like culture war bullshit. Doesn't really matter. And it's like, well, you, you know, if you said that, you know, in like the, in uh, you know communist China in the Cultural Revolution, you could say the same thing. Yeah, your, you know, your teacher was being beaten to death with a stick, and you know, and all this kind of stuff sent off to a you know off to a gulag or whatever. But you know, these these things are kind of. It's not just a culture war. It is a. It is a. It does a, is affecting people's um, 
you know lives and futures and everything else but i think but ultimately it is a losing battle like you can't you just can't fight it but uh, i think maybe i just like maybe i just like struggle i just like to struggle against things and it makes me i think i think for me struggle any kind of struggle somehow creates it creates some kind of energy you know there's some kind of energy there like i could just give up just give up and and you know not not care and i did I sometimes i think when my, when my mum died i had a i had this after after a while because i think i think my mum died after having the her fourth um shot is that um you know there's part of part of you just sort of gives up and what's the point what's the point but then i think it's there is there is something in there is something in some people where you know you do you do sort of like you know like wait you know you look at your you look, I look at my son or you know I see oh my you know you just you just something happens where you're like no you've got to you've got to keep you know even if it's just for yourself even if it's completely pointless you got to get that flag and go and stand in front of the tank you know <laughs> yeah so it's because there are there are other people out there who feel the same I think the majority of people feel the same but the majority of people don't you know have uh they have you know they, they don't they're not allowed to say things so if somebody else is doing it um being a pain in the ass then uh you know that, that that used to be that that used to be something that we used to celebrate when i was a kid like people who were pains in the ass who were who were you know i don't know it's a the world, the world is a i get yeah maybe it's a shock of the new it's like future shock you can't um maybe i'm not meant maybe i'm maybe meant to die <laughs> Maybe <laughs> to die about. Well, look, even even my daughter, who's only twenty, is she twenty one or she twenty four? Anyway, she's twenty something. She, you know, even for her, the world has changed so much in her lifetime that everyone's dealing with this uh, future shock. Like, you know, when she was, she was um, when was she born? Ninety eight. Um, so she, you know, even when she was a little, you know, little kid, you know, I'd, none of us had mobile phones really, and the internet wasn't really a thing and streaming and all that kind of stuff you know she was still still probably watching barney the dinosaur on like a scratched dvd and um so yeah so everyone everyone feels it and i guess now you've got you've got ai here so um you know it's gonna those things are gonna accelerate even more so yeah yeah interesting times but anyway so um i'm gonna have to go out soon so i'm gonna i have a i have a this is not just me ranting on. I wasn't going to speak for so long, but it's uh, you know I am I am I have actually I am actually making. I'm just trying to do the the logo, the the, the badge thing for for um for the podcast. But I am actually going to do this podcast, um, radioactive dog shit the ra- <laughs> the radioactive dog shit podcast. Like I was saying to I was saying to. Uh, my, my son, my other son, uh, Ewan was over, and I was saying to Vanessa, "I'm going to do this podcast. It's going to be called Radioactive Dog Shit." And she was like, "That's the worst tight. That's the worst podcast name I've ever heard." Then Ewan was like, "Oh, I don't think I don't think it's like that bad." I was like, "Well, if you Ewan, he's a he's a he's 21. He he knows this kind of stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. You can actually you can actually use the word shit as well in a podcast a title without having to put like you know things in it." Um, so so yeah so so this so this is in a way this is going to be 
me offloading this part of the podcast of where I'm kind of ranting and raving uh, onto a different podcast. And that it didn't really matter if no one ever listens to that podcast because in a way it's a little it's going to be like this um it's going to be like uh, uh, Instagram but probably a more productive version of Instagram. And I think on the should it be should it be called Andy Kett Patrick's radio radioactive dog shit or just radioactive dog shit? So, that, so I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the t- the term radioactive dog shit comes from uh, Chris um, Chuck Pratt. Who I think I think it was Chuck Pratt who said because he he was a really good rock climber and he was he never did any mountaineering and he said oh have you snow like radioactive dog shit so so yeah so I've got this idea for this podcast and what it's going to be is just me trying to work out if I am actually mental because I do I do spend quite a lot of time wondering if I'm mental um, like seriously losing my mind and. Um, so I so we have this idea of like trying to explore, um, you know, what's what's real, what's not real, what's helpful, what's not helpful. How this, you know, what what kind of model is am I working on? What bits are good? What bits are bad? You know, blah blah blah. So anyway, so it's got nothing nothing to do with climbing. So it's just something. Again, I don't have time to do this podcast, so I, I'm going to do that. I don't know, but it's good to it's good to aspire to something else. Anyway, so, but I thought I, sh- I do have a question here from somebody that I should cover because it's supposed to be about climbing, um, and it's about abseiling. And I just read it, and as and then we'll see if we can work out what the answer could be. Um, dear Andy Kepatrick, uh, I hope this email finds you well. I recently read your book down, very nice book, and I also encountered an abseil situation in which a I had an idea how to solve it. I'm not sure you covered and would be interested in your opinion on it. And B, I would be interested in what your approach would be like. The situation, we had to make a 45 metre abseil according to the top hole and had a single 80 metre climbing rope along with some cord and slings, etc. Both climbers equipped with carabiners, a tube and a grigri each. Both anchors were well-equipped, abseil anchors with bolts, a chain and a large fixed quick link. The terrain seemed prone to snagging of knots and blocking carabiners. At first we tried to make a blocking uh, rappel, i.e. we tied a locking carabiner into one of the strands and clipped the other with the pull strand made made long enough with the... With the um, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'll, I'll I'll try and work this out as I'm saying it. So I'm thinking, what is what they what they tried to do is they must have been abseiling on the grigries. So when people abseil on a grigri and have a single rope, is usually what they do is they feed the rope through. So you'd have like an 80 meter rope. So you got. You've got um, forty meters hanging down on a, on each strand, and one's one's got to be a pull strand, one's got to be the rappel strand. So on the pull strand, because you're going to abseil on a grigri on a single strand of rope, like if you did it without doing anything, the rope would just whiz through the anchor and you die. So you have to make a you have to block the rope. So what you do is the the way I tend to do it is would you would you would um 
where the rope is where the abseil strand is passing through the anchor and becoming the the pull strand the rope you're going to pull is you get a locking carabiner and you you clove hitch you clove hitch the locking carabiner uh, with a triple clove hitch not just a double clove hitch because it makes it a bit more stable and you uh you clip it into the clove hitch so so what that means is that when you put your grigri on the on the abseil strand the carabiner is like jam jams into the into the rappel anchor so so the carabiner can't get pulled through the through the ring so you can abseil abseil down to the end of the abseil down to the next anchor then you pull the pull strand the pull strand pulls down the uh, the blocking carabiner on the clove hitch you pull it down you take the take the carabiner out and you pull the rope down um with the when you when you're using a blocking system you always have to you have to really make sure that the the carabiner cannot pass through like if you if you have like a ring there's like an abseil ring then a carabiner cannot pass through the the abseil ring and the worst thing that could probably happen with an abseil ring is if you didn't use a locking carabiner that potentially somehow the carabiner could clip into the ring like it was being pulled in a in a funny direction but when you when you're setting up a blocking carabiner you, you always need to you know load it check how it's um how it's you know how it's how it's set and stuff you know like if you were really cack-handed you might you might say you instead of being a ring it was like a big um like a what do you call it um, like a big cargo hook, what they call it? a mussy hook, like a big, like a big carabiner that you can clip the rope into. Potentially, the, uh, something that was very large would be large enough for a carabiner to pull through it. So, if you were like abseiling on it, then the the blocking carabiner might just like pull through the abseil point, and uh, and then you die. So, so one way people often try to avoid that happening is they'll clip the carabiner into the abseil rope so the so you got the ab the pull line you got the, the clove hitch with the with a locker in the clove hitch and then it then the rope is going through the abseil point and then you clip the the abseil rappel rope in back into the carabiner so that means that even if the carabiner was somehow to work its way through the abseil point uh it would just be it wouldn't it wouldn't you know it's it's kind of secured inside the carabiner um uh the, that that does create like a little bit more friction so there's there's various ways of doing a, the blocking you can you can tie a some people tie a figure of eight and then clip that into the you know the knot is blocking the carabiner really there's loads of ways loads of ways of doing it um if you don't have a if you don't one way of doing it is if you uh like if you have a really small mayon or a really small, or you could use a piece of uh, a cord, like make a really small loop. Then you don't really need a carabiner. Like you could just tie a big a big knot. As long as the knot can't pull through the, you know, pull through it, then that's that's one way of doing it. You could do you instead of having a instead of doing a um, a blocking thing, and it's a really good anchor. Then both climbers could abseil down the same time using a. You know, on a on a grigri each, but you need to. But that is, I would like, I would kind of avoid ever doing like a simultaneous abseil because it's just too, 
it's just too it's just too dangerous and there's so many people die doing it it's just not worth it now, not many people do it and yet there's quite a lot of accidents with it so that shows that it's probably not very good now a classic way you're going to die doing a simultaneous abseil is you're abseiling down you and your mate you've got your grigris on you're going down the rope you're the first person gets to the b layer you know because you can't really you can't really be one person's generally above the other person because otherwise you're just banging into, in, into each other. First person gets to the B layer, they clip into the B layer, they, they pull on the handle and the rope whizzes through the B layer. They're of gree-gree, the knot goes, you know, there's no knot on the end, whizzes through, the other person flies down or they get to the B layer, they clip in, they pull on the handle to get, get some slack. As the slack flies through the gree-gree, the other person flies down the rope because you're suddenly giving them slack uh they might pull on the handle on their grigri out of panic so what do you, the one person is flies down hits the other person the other person panics they pull on the handle even more and before you know it you know someone's someone's dead so ways to avoid that is um both climbers should tie into the end of uh, end like tie into the rope don't clip into the rope tie into the rope into each each person ties into the end of the rope. So therefore, you know, whatever happens, you know, nobody's, you're not, no one's going to go off the end of the rope, you know, so you're tied into it and, you know, you're counterbalanced, you know, even if both Grigri's were to break, you know, you would just both fall, fall to the end of the rope. You'd be dangling there wondering what the hell happened. Um, you could uh, clip it, clip into each other with a sling, get one 20, one 20 centimeter sling, clip into each other and that would mean that if you know if some if the person got to the end of the b layer you know and um you know they 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 untied from the knot and they and they and they, the rope with through the gree gree the other person's not going to fall to the death they're actually connected to the other person so you know but people people do it because they think it's going to be a lot quicker um but as soon as you've got b since you've got like a b layer tube ideally what you want to do is just like feed the rope through an abseil, you know, put put a backup backup prusik on the on the rope, and abseil down, abseil down on the uh, on your belay tube. That would save that would save a hell of a lot of fannying on, really. Um, so yeah, so I don't I I think people because they use the grigri so much, they kind of feel like they're safer on the grigri. Like there are there are benefits, you know. It's kind of is is there are kind of benefits using grigri and abseiling. But a belay tube is is the thing to use, really. Um, so anyway, so at first we tried to make a blocking. Um, so he calls it a reap, a reap shewer, reap schnewer. Sounds like a sort of uh, some of the Derbyshireism, like hey, it was a reap schnewer, reap schnewer. Anyway, a reap schnewer rappel. I.e., we tied a locking carabiner to one of the strands and clipped the other with the well with the pull strand, made long enough for some reap schnewer. But on the first pull test, so so pull test is like one of the key things to do if you don't want to have accidents uh, or get stuck abseiling. Is the first person abseil down and they pull the rope, pull like a meter on the rope to check to test it's going to pull, which is a really 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 good uh, technique. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to all abseil down and be standing at the bottom B layer and then realize the rope's not going to pull like if it doesn't pull generally there's uh 
you know, that there's too much friction or whatever. So this is it's a very good technique to adopt. But on the first pull test, with the abseil down, the rope blocking carabiner immediately got stuck on the first opportunity, um, with many more such opportunities on the way. On the way, I remember once I was climbing in Australia, and we climbed at this, uh, what's it called? It was like this crag. It was like in the, it was like out in the outback. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called now. But it was in out in the outback, and you had to walk up this mountain every morning to get to the it was like an it was like an escarpment is it escarpment and it was like a like stanage but made out of um and it was like an australian stanage but it was much higher and anyway so but there was a there was a point where there was an abseil some abseil points abseil down and where they drilled the abseil it was like a there was the edge of the rock and there was a, a notch right right there and i remember saying I remember saying to Vanessa, "Oh no, so 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 I, um, yeah, I think it's time for me to. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pause this podcast because I have to go and take this child for a walk, and we shall re and I shall get back to it. In um, you won't even notice because I'll be because I'll you just it'll just be seamless. So anyway, so I'll, I'll see you in like in probably like half a second. Okay, bye." Right, back again. Uh, it's now sunny outside. You probably hear someone mowing the lawn or something. So, uh, yes, yeah, so where, where were we? Um, that email again. Uh, it's funny when you when you do it when I, when you do podcasts and you kind of do them in in two in two halves. You. Uh, <laughs> You sort of you end up you go. It's kind of got like usually when I do a podcast, I'll I'll just record, record whatever, and then I'll just then I'll just fire it off. But when you uh, when you're in two halves, you kind of go away and you're like, oh my god, what the hell was I talking about or something? Or anyway, so it's, it's kind of it's always a bit weird doing it in two halves. So um, where were we? Blah blah blah. So he was, but on the first. So on the first pull test, the rope blocking carabiner immediately got stuck on the first at the, on the first opportunity. Oh yeah, so I was saying that when I was in um, this crag in the Rapalese, uh, where the abseil was, there was the it was like a there was a a ledge with like two bolts in the ledge, and then there was then the rope went over the edge. So that you you it's always best to have the bolts on like the flat on the on a on a face somewhere, so you. Because as soon as you as soon as you have the a, a bolt belay or abseil anchor um, on the vertical, it means that the rope is going to be at sort of ninety degrees. Is that right? Ninety degrees, uh, hundred eighty degrees. <laughs> anyway, it goes. It's at right angle, you know. So so the so you, that's always going to cause some kind of uh, you know quite a, a quite a large amount of friction. And anyway, but where the anchor was, there was like a a small kind of notch that was probably maybe like 20 centimeters sort of you know 20 centimeter uh, deep notch and I, I guess most people would not even see it and, more, and especially the person who placed the abseil anchor there didn't obviously didn't see it so when we were when we were, i think vanessa abseil down first and then when she did the pull test you could see the the rope just immediately 
sort of went into this uh, into this notch. So even though it was in, the notch was tiny, because you're pulling directly underneath it, uh, it just the the knot just got jammed into this thing. There was no way you were going to overpower it. The 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 you know it was just stuck in there. So we um, so what I did, I just as as I was abseiling over the edge, I just let some of the um, the abseil because because you've got you know you got the rope is going through the port the pull the, the part you're you've got the abseil basically you're abseiling on both strands which are tied together because we had a belay like a belay device so you've got both both ropes going through the going through it but say if you put if you're pulling on the on the pink rope not that it was pink if you're pulling on the pink rope then you let some of the the green rope slide through your belay device while holding onto the pink rope, and it, it migrates the knot. So the knot starts following following you as you start going over the edge. So you, you just get the knot over the edge where this notch is, and it means it doesn't jam up anyway. So when when we, when we went down to the campsite that night, there was another like three people staying there. We were like, oh, I just by the way, we were like abseiling off this uh, popular anchor, and we uh, we noticed this thing and. Um, you know, it's just worth it's just worth being aware of it, being aware of it, and they just kind of like poo pooed because we were probably like knobbers. What we were climbing, they probably just thought, "Oh, what do they know?" Anyway, the next day they came down and they're like, "Oh, we have our rope got stuck on the abseil, so it's still up there." So, so yes, yeah, so it's good. It's good to observe these things. So, um, so the rope blocking carabine immediately got stuck on the first opportunity, with many more such opportunities on the way. Uh, here I, as the first abseiler, observed that the single 80mm rope does in fact suffice. Cause so, so you actually reach the abseil on an 80 meter rope where the abs, where the the topo said it was a 90 meter. You need a 90 meter rope, which is kind of um, which is kind of unusual. You know, so I guess like a 45 meter abseil is i guess that would be like a classic length of abseil in the past because you'd have two ropes tied together and it's only like modern climbing where you have these abseils set up like i usually they're set up for like 28 meters apart or something so you can abseil on a single 60 but in some countries like in the us and stuff as people have started getting like 70 meter sport climbing ropes these uh the the, the abseils are maybe like 30 meters apart which is a bit of a bit of a pain in the ass, which is obviously what this uh this person is um you know think thinking about so anyway so it's ropes so it's, <laughs> it's an anticlimax so so the rope actually did suffice so so here when you're abseiling and you're not sure if your ropes are going to reach the end this is where you really want to ideally like you can either you can either you can either clip you can either tie knots into the end of the rope uh, and um, clip them into your harness, or you can just tie knots into the end of the rope and let them dangle down. And when you, whenever you connect the rope directly to you, to you, the downside of that is it doesn't allow the, um, it doesn't allow the, it, you, you'll get like sort of kinks and knots like building up as you're abseiling down because the rope can't spin, uh, spin out all the kind of twists and things that you're uh, you're you're creating in the creating the rope like one way to avoid that if you want to keep hold of the ends of the rope is uh so that's why that's why you should always tie the ends of the rope separately you don't want to tie both ropes together because yeah, that that's that makes it even worse so um if, if both ropes are, are separate that's why when you have sail down the ropes just 
unfurl the the knots and twists just come out as you're selling down but if you can if you connect them to your harness then that doesn't happen so one way to get over that is to connect to the ends of the rope ends of your rope into your harness use it with a sling so if you use like a, a 60 centimeter sling or whatever um then what happens is the twists like go into the sling they don't go into the the rope does work it through but then it's just a bit of a more Fanning on, so anyway, but you, but if you, if you're not quite sure if your rope's going to reach the next B layer, uh, it's quite good to um, to you don't want to abseil off the end of the end of it, and also you don't want to do the thing where you get there and the you basically have zero rope left in your hand, you know, the basically the ends of the rope are in your hand and your hand is next to the B layer device, and the B layer is just below you, and you're like, oh, maybe I can just like reach down and and clip into it uh like there's a there's a really famous well it's not that famous not that famous a story but two guys abseiling down el cap and they had 60 meter ropes maybe and the belays were further than 60 meters apart and what happened was one of them was abseiling down and he had the haul bag which is you know pretty heavy and, and he could only just reach to the to this belay if he untied the knots in the abseil ropes so he just managed to reach down, managed to clip the clip the B layer. Probably what what it was, he was properly abseiling down, and he he was actually abseiling to a B layer that wasn't on the route they were on. That must be what it was. So he um, anyway he managed to clip into this B layer, let go of the ropes. He went he like fell onto the B layer, which is not a good idea, and the ropes like pinged up, but he didn't tell his friend. So he because he he had the whole bag, he'd. He was a lot heavier, so the ropes had stretched a lot more. So when his friend was coming down, his friend's just looking down, sees this guy in the B layer, just assumes the uh, the rope is uh, reaching reaching down to him. And as he gets towards the end of the rope, he suddenly both ropes whiz through his hands. This is El Cap he's a long way off of the ground. And as he's falling, he grabs the um, the whole bag, the straps on the whole bag, and he saves himself. And I guess at that point, your two ropes would like ping up into space, and now they'd be like five, five meters above you. So how they how they got out of that situation, I I don't really know. So so yeah, so um yeah, so it's 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 good to it's good to you know to to be a little bit paranoid about these things. So he obviously probably did that. So he re- he realizes ropes fit reach because often. Your rope might say it's like eighty meters long, but if you actually weigh, if you actually measured it, it'd probably be a lot longer because rope lengths are not are not precise really. If if you get two ropes, especially if you get two ropes from different manufacturers, you'll suddenly you always find that one of them is like two meters longer than the other one, which is a complete pain in the ass when it comes to you know sort of like you know taking in the rope because when it, when it comes tight on the second. It's like taking on the green. It's like it just drives you insane. So that's why it's quite quite good to have good to have ropes of the same same manufacturer. So um, so it does in fact suffice. And so the situation was resolved. And I was wondering whether what would have you done in the other case. So we're talking here about a scenario where you have a single rope that's eighty meters long, and you have a, the B layer, the bolt B layer below you is um 45 meters away so you are you are five meters short on the end of on the end of each rope so you get to the end of the your your rope which you've doubled up because you have to retrieve it 
and you're still five meters stroke 15 feet stroke 100 yards whatever that is you're you're uh, 15 hands you're you're you can't get to the beat there so so his idea is i had about 15 meters of seven miller Rappenschneer, which, <laughs> which i'm guessing that's like cord um with the breaking strain of 10 kilonewtons with me as the leader so it's the cord let i'm guessing and consider tying that to one of the strands and to the lower anchor so that the other strand could be fixed and could be repelled on without requiring a blocking construction at the upper anchor. Afterwards, the rope would be pulled on the side that was fixed with a Roppenschneuer, the cord, with only the lower 10 meters possibly causing problems. Mm, I don't really understand what he's saying there. Um, da -da -da. Would you consider that idea safe? I don't really understand. Um, other ideas I had, abseiling on two strands of the climbing rope and the Roppenschneuer and the Roppenschneuer with a munter, which passes the knot. Problem is, I'm not sure the Prusik would work on a 7mm Roppenschneuer. Um, some ghosting technique, I have not used these techniques yet, but I can imagine they also those also solving this kind of situation however i'm from what i've read i imagine these would be dangerous would be more dangerous than my idea would you agree happy hear your thoughts best regards leon i shall keep your name keep your keep your second name i'll just call you leon hendry hendrial instead of anyway so um so i think i kind of know what you're saying so if for me so there's a few, a few, a few times where I've had this. So some, so, well, more than a few times I've had like where the ropes wouldn't reach the the next B layer, abseil anchor. Um, so in 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 the winter time, like if it, if it's not, if it's it depends. You know, there's there's millions of variables. So I'm I'm thinking now, once in New Zealand, what we did was. Um, I think we must have had like a single rope. Do we have a double rope? Anyway, it just wouldn't reach. Wouldn't reach down to where the where the anchor was. So whether we'd whether what we'd missed an anchor or it was like in, on an alpine alpine route. So what I did was um, so my uh, so you imagine, so you've got your two ropes and you've got your pull strand, which we we'll call it red. Uh, no, we'll call it purple for pull, and you've got your uh, your other strand which isn't here gonna be a repel strand we'll call that that's green so if you imagine you've got your your pull your your pull strand the knot is on on that side of the of the anchor so that when you get to the bottom you're going to pull purple and then the rope's going to pull, pull through but um <clears throat> you you abseil down and you realize you're you're like five meters short of the of the next anchor so what you what you're gonna do because you've already abseiled down, so you're not probably not gonna go all the way back up again. And I think in that in what happened in that situation was uh, because it was because I could get my weight off the rope. My I actually I tie I was already I already had a knot in the end of the in the end of both ropes, uh, a figure of eight. So I so I took I took the figure of eight. And I clipped that into my harness with a with a locker on the purple rope, and then my and then Vanessa, my wife, uh, 
she um she put a prost she put a prusik on she put a prusik on the purple rope and I was able to get my weight off and she actually put me on belay on the on the other rope on the whatever colour it was. Oh, I forgot what colour it was, the, the the blue rope or something. The rope that was gonna go up when I was going down. And um and then I just started I untied the knot in the other rope, in the bottom of the rope. So I'm now like hanging on the pull rope um with my belay device with my abseil device and the rope's going through my abseil device into my harness and Vanessa like put me onto belay on the on the other on the rope that I've just untied from and I just started like down climbing and uh and as I was as I was down climbing I was placing oh no I climbed I climb up I basically started placing gear in the purple rope uh and clipping it in and as I was down climbing and uh so I was like placing gear going going down and I suppose you could have built another anchor but the anchor we're going to was like a very good anchor so I was like placing gear down climbing um just letting the rope go through the the other rope going through my belay device until eventually it just like popped out and then just kept on down climbing and then I got to the got to the belay uh connected connected myself to the belay and then my uh uh, my wife pulled up the end of the so now the other rope is ten meters short, ten meters short of the belay because it's gone. I've gone down ten meters. I've gone down five meters. So I was short five meters. So I down climbed five meters. So now the other end of the rope is like ten meters above me. This is very very complicated. So she, <laughs> so basically she she went up and. Um, she abseiled down. Uh, she pulled up the pulled up the other rope. So she tied a knot in the end again, clipped into that. So she was she couldn't abseil off the end of that rope, and she abseiled down until she was tight on that tight on the other rope. She was ten meters above me. She tied in tied into the rope, tied a knot into the rope, clipped into it with a screw get or something, and then she started down climbing. And as she was down climbing, the end of the rope, and I and I, I had her on belay. As she started started down climbing, the end of the rope just came through the belay device. The, the the up rope and she uh down climbed taking the protection out of that place until she arrived and then we pulled the rope down and off we went so but so that that is you know you, sometimes in the past you, you'd be like um you just get to the end of the rope and you're like i'm just going to down climb to this b layer you abseil down and then you just down climb to me but in that in that situation where we were it was like a massive drop underneath us it was dark uh it, it wasn't i remember once on the on the drew on the backside of the drew i was sailing down the, the grand drew in chamonix and the guy was with like abseil down and it, and it was it was dark we were knackered you know being awake all night and stuff abseil down and um you couldn't hear anything and i was like oh god what's good what's going on and then i could hear i could hear like someone shouting it's like um, it's something so Anyway, so I got the rope. The rope kind of goes slack. So I put my belay device on. I start abseiling down. And he basically abseiled into like a chimney. And he was just kind of bridged in this chimney. But he was still attached to the still attached to the rope. So, you know, we, we didn't think there was a, a, a vertical rock face underneath us. We thought it was just going to be 
like snow all the way down to the glacier and it was stuck in a chimney. Actually, that's happened. That's happened more than once. So, you know, in, when you when it's dark and things, that's when you just want to be a lot more a lot more careful. But if it came to a steep rock, a steep vertical face, and you're ten meters, you're five meters short of getting to the B layer. So there, what you do is you would um, you would basically uh, so you got your you got your middle mark on your rope, so you know that you've got forty meters. I mean, twenty meters on one side, twenty meters on the other side. Is that right? No, forty meters on one side, forty meters on the other side. So what you would do, you would um, you would you would get the length of your you get your uh, your cordelet. So you get your cordelet. So you say your cordelet is. Um, you know, for 50 meters, that's 50 meters, quite a long of a cordlet. But anyway, so you get your cordlet, maybe you need to get your, your, your mate's cordlet, maybe you need to get your cordlets and you have to get your, your cord off your, your, uh, choke bag, or maybe you have to get all your slings, maybe you have to get your shoelaces. You know, like if you put all the, all the slings and all the cord and everything you have, you know, the, the, the pull things out of your rucksack and everything else, all your quick draws, everything, if you put it all together, you've probably got about 30 meters there anyway. So, but what you would do is say you've got um, seven meters of, of cordelette. So you wouldn't tie cordelette, got this long strand of cordelette is you, you've got the middle mark of the rope and you would just measure out, you would put the, the end of the cordelette next to the middle mark and you would start measuring it out until you have lowered out that seven meters of rope onto the, so you cordelette, you know, you've lowered, You've lowered seven meters extra rope, so that means I'll call it ten meters because I'm I'm really not very good at maths. So at the moment you've got forty meters on either side, and now what you're going to do? You're going to lower an extra ten meters on one side, so that means you've got um, got thirty meters. You've got a thirty meter strand hanging down one side, and you've got <laughs> so you had forty. Now you've got thirty meters on one side, and you've got. 50 meters on the other side hanging down and then you get your, and then you um where, where where that is you do a you do a blocking technique so you pull the rope pull the rope tie a tie um you know put a carabiner in whatever however you want to do it so you're just going to abseil down on the strand which is 50 meters long then you pull up your other end of the rope which is now t which is now 20 meters short 50 meters short you're going to pull that up and uh, you're going to tie in the end of your cordlet into that strand of rope. So, you, so your so your abseil line is completely solid, goes all the way down to the to the next anchor. And then your pull line goes down for 30 meters and then it's got a, a knot in it. And then the knot is going down to uh, seven meters of of, um, of cordlet. So you, uh, you abseil down, um, you could... You give it a you pull test it, just check that it's going to pull okay. So you get down, you grab the end of the cordlet, start pulling on it. The rope starts moving, it's good. Pull it down, and the next person comes down, and you pull it down. So the you have a, like a slightly increased risk because you've got a knot, but it's not it's not um you know it's not a, it's not a it's not a problem because it's the, it's the end right near you. You know, seven meters above you, you can see it, you can flick it or whatever you can. You can get it down okay so so yeah so in, a, in a, like an extreme case uh, like so that that kind of technique uh, is always really good if you're doing if your ropes get damaged say you've got two ropes 
and you're climbing in the Alps and you know you have like you've got to do big abseils to get down and if one of your ropes gets damaged then you can just tie the rope together you know tie that rope together with loads of knots so it doesn't matter you're only you're only abseiling down on the on the rope which has got no knots in it you know which is a complete and the other rope which is your pull rope could be made up of um anything you can pull it basically it could be string it could be anything so yeah so that that would um that would be a way to do it now a ghosting technique is where you basically how how the the rope is attached to the anchor in some way that when you pull on the pull strand it just um breaks apart like the the knot or whatever you're using is designed that when you when you pull on the pull strand or the pull part of the rope it just dismantles the the knot or whatever so the the most famous there's a lot of kind of weird i can't recall them like these knots where you you know you you abseil on one end and you pull on the other and it just falls apart they're a kind of trick knots really they're not really anything i would ever recommend anyone to use um you know, a fiddle stick is something where you tie you tie a stone a stone knot which is a bit like a, a bit like a figure of eight and you put this plastic this piece of plastic um what's it called it's made out of the same stuff lex lexicon or it's made you make nalcine bottles out of it this kind of stick plastic bar that goes into the stone knot and it stops the stone knot from coming undone and then when you get to the end, you'd pull you you pull the stick out. It's attached attached to a rope or some cord, and the knot the knot collapses, and then it just falls out of the just falls out of the anchor. Uh, so you, you use that technique if you're abseiling off a massive tree or a massive boulder, and you don't want to pull the whole rope all the way th- all the way through it. So, that, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily work in in this situation. The the one of the one of the basically what you're trying to do instead of you try instead of having so the mid so the middle at the middle of the rope ends up at the bottom of the at the bottom of the rappel rather than at the top if that makes if that makes any sense so the ends of the rope are actually at the top when you're abseiling and then you're pulling on one of the ropes to somehow dismantle that thing now, one the, the probably the best technique you'd have to read my book to work out how to do it. Now, this is a technique that I don't think anybody ever did or ever even knew existed. But since I wrote that book, it's actually you'll see it on TikTok or something. But you just tie you basically tie a, a ball line uh, around the whatever it is. So so this would be you'd, you'd put the rope through the um, abseil anchor and tie a ball line. And then the other end of the rope is used to basically break apart the ball line. It pulls the, um, what's it called? The heart of the ball line. It kind of pulls the heart of the ball line out and then it, and it pulls the, um, the other strand through. And it, it basically, it's very, it's very clever how it works. Well, it's not clever because it's just how it, it's just, it just works very, very well. And you're absolutely on a ball line, so long as you know tight tie ball line, it's also safe to, to do so and the you could you would use the your your seven meters of um of cord your cord let at that end because you, you haven't got enough you wouldn't have enough rope to reach it'd be pointless to to do this a ball line a ghost anchor if you rope if you're at reach so you the other end of your rope is short so you just tie the, the cord let onto that and it goes up and it goes and it's attached to the to the to the um ball line and it would like 
pull the ball line apart and he could pull it down. But like then you've got like no, you've got two ends of rope falling down with that technique. So it's a technique for some things, but it's pro- for this. I would probably just do the the blocking, the blocking technique. That's the I think that's the way to do it. I've seen people uh, again. It's, it's since down came up. Like this is all covered in down. Um, one one way to do it uh, is if you were if it was if if it was like the next um, if it was like to get to the ground. Like often because you've got the problems of of like glacial retreat and various things. You can sometimes get to the point where you say you're on a slab, like a massive slab, and you know you you have enough rope. Say it's you know it's like sixty meters to the ground, but you only have one sixty meter rope, and you can't see any other anchor whatsoever. There's this thing; it's called like a deadfall. Like I well, I invented it. Like I don't know what to, I call it a deadfall, um, which is when a you know when a tree when a branch falls out of a tree and kills you. So, but a deadfall. Deadfall. It's kind of a variation of a blocking technique. So basically, you you have your rope, sixty meter rope. It goes all the way down to the ground. You have to make sure it goes down to the ground, otherwise it doesn't work. It goes all the way down to the ground, and it goes through through the anchor. You create like a blocking system so that so you can repel on that rope, and you just then attach something heavy like a rucksack or something into the other end of the rope. So what it what what it does is that you would have it backed up for the first person down. First person down repels down and then the last person abseils down. And when the ro- when the rope is unweighted, the weight of the rucksack falls and it pulls the it pulls the rope through in through and back down. It pulls the pulls the whole thing back down to the ground basically like a like a counterweight um like a deadfall trap type thing. Um, like it's not, it's not um, foolproof. There's, you could the rope could get tangled in the rucksack. There's all sorts of things that can happen, but it's in it's one of those situations where you know you're you know like like I've I've abseiled on thing abseiled off things, and you've you've come to some overhanging you know horror show, and you'll just see like two ropes are just just there, and like you know people have just abseiled off the ropes and just left them there. And you know they knew they could, if they you know if they tie all the ropes together, they could get, they could get down, and that's what they've done. They just left the ropes there. Um, or you could tie all your ropes together, so you you have like a hundred and twenty meter abseil. If you really want to get down to the ground, and you don't care about your ropes. You do a hundred and twenty meter abseil, or longer if you've got longer ropes, and you would just abseil on a <coughs> on a munter hitch. And when you get to the knot in the middle, you just like let the rope go through the munter hitch and then keep on going, or a super munter. Um, which is like the ult- ultimate kind of get out of that kind of trick. So yeah, so that's it. Um, uh, I had a, I had a, I had a. I think I, th- I can hear them coming into the house again. I got to take this goddamn child walking one more time. People must think I'm like, how can I be a misogynist when I spend like literally three hours of the day pushing this baby around? Like it's, I'm like the, I'm as modern as you're gonna, modern as you're ever gonna get me. So. Uh, I did have, a, did have a question about hammocks for some reason. Uh, let's see what time is it. We've got time for a little hammock question. People are really into hammocks, aren't they? Uh, what time is that? What, 16.55 in real money? 
is at 555 15 so it's 50 i'm not very good at 24 hour time still um oh yeah <clears throat> i think it is um yeah i think i have to save my hammock question um yeah i'll have to save the hammock question because it was it, you know you need you need quite a lot of time when you're talking about hammocks so um yeah so i uh i uh i shall um leave you to it and uh so I apologise any mountain guys out there, mountain guides out there, and any women out there who've been offended by my, by my uh, things I've said. But um, you know that's uh, what's it, what is in Korean lainess? What does he say? I play the I play the man I am, and that's you know that's what I do. So anyway, until next time, goodbye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.